good morning, church. It is a pleasure to see each of you here. Thankful that you've chosen to worship with us today. I want to encourage you to find in your worship folder, if you've not already done so, the fill-in-the-blank listening guide that will help you follow along as we study today. Uh, we're going to look at several texts, some of them familiar, maybe some not so familiar, talking today about aiming at reconciliation, aiming at reconciliation. This is the third in a series of studies that you and I are doing together on relationships, particularly studying tough relationships, because we learn so much more from those kinds of difficulties and challenges than we do from our good ones. And so we're looking at the tough-to-love people and how we approach that as the children of God. And so I want to encourage you to use this this morning to follow along, take notes, be something that you can refer to later this week when you want to recall it. Aiming at reconciliation. You know, as, as a pastor, when people come and talk with me, and I would think the other pastors would say the same thing. People come with different needs and problems, and we sit and we talk and we pray together. But you know, perhaps the number one issue that people will come and talk to me about in all the years that I've done this as a pastor, the number one issue almost always has to do with conflict. Conflict. It can be conflict at work, a problem with a boss or co-worker. It can be a problem in your marriage or in a home with a child. It can be a conflict with a friend, maybe someone you've known your whole life or another family member. It can be a conflict maybe even in the community where you live. But conflict is the thing that we all encounter at one time or another. And you don't have to look very far in our world to see that conflict is an issue everywhere that you look, on the news, among the nations, politics, uh, in relationships, wherever you see them. Why is that? Because you and I know that when the first man sinned, that that sin corrupted the heart of every human being that's ever been born since. And conflict has been one of the results of the fall. I think that dealing with conflict and learning to work through a, a difficult relationship is one of the most important skills that you and I can learn. And we don't learn it anywhere else. Uh, we don't learn it in elementary school. We don't learn it in junior high. We've never had a class in high school that I know of on dealing with conflict. And most of us didn't learn how to deal with it at home. And so we have this in front of us, how to deal with conflict. And, and we want to learn how to do it because if we don't, it interferes with so much in our life. It, it interferes with our relationship with God. For example, in 1 John 4, it says that I can say I love God, but if I hate my neighbor, I'm a liar. And so it interferes with my relationship with the Lord. And in 1 Peter 3, it says to husbands that if you're not right with your wife, it hinders your prayer life. And so if I'm out of sorts with her, I'm out of sorts with God. And so my relationship with God's very much affected by my relationship with others. It interferes with your happiness 
If nothing else captures your attention, it affects your ability to be happy. How many people do you know who today are angry, bitter people because of unresolved conflict in their past? This is why the Lord Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. Why? Because God makes peace. The whole understanding that you and I have of the gospel is that he sent his son Jesus to enter into the conflict between man and God and to make peace. And he has done that through the cross. And so to be like him, we need to be peacemakers. The Apostle Paul, this is why he wrote in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I love the scripture because it is so true and realistic. Because he says, uh, there's two notes of realism in in this verse. It says, if it is possible. It's not always possible. But if it is possible. And then it says, as much as depends on you. Because you can only control that part of this whole process of reconciling with someone else. As much as it depends on you. And so... Some people won't respond to your efforts. Some people are not interested in reconciling. Some people don't want to be your friend. And yet he says, as much as it depends on you, this is how you can bring this situation to a place where you can be at peace. But obviously the enemy wants to take advantage of us. He wants to take advantage of our relationships with one another. He wants to create chaos He wants to create hurt. He wants to cause us to harm one another. But God says in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you do that? How do you overcome evil with good? Well, that's the heart of our study today. Um, You may not need this today. I was talking to the deacons earlier. You may not need this today. Just hang on. You will soon. Um, If it's not you, it's someone that you know, someone close to you that is struggling in a relationship with someone. And what can they do? What are they responsible to do? How can they pursue reconciliation in this relationship? So here's our question today. How can any Christian work towards the reconciliation of a broken relationship? Number one. Make the first move. Make the first move. I can tell you right now, that doesn't come naturally. Everything in you doesn't want to make the first move. That's normal for us as human beings. Adam in the garden, when he had offended God, broken his relationship with the Lord, did he want to make the first move? What did he do? He hid, didn't he? He hid. He didn't want to face it. He didn't want to deal with God. And he hid. He wanted to take cover. He wanted to hide. He didn't want to deal with it. He didn't want to face it. And that's why you and I naturally tend to be when we have a problem with someone, whether it's our fault or their fault. We want to hide. That's why the Bible tells us not to hide. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in verse 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar 
And there remember that your brother has something against you. Means that you did something to them. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. How important is reconciliation? Some of you may not even need to be here this morning. It's that important. He says it's more important than Sunday morning worship. Now, I like the fact that he said, leave your offering at the altar. Very practical. I like that part. But he says ultimately that you and I are to go. We make the first move. Especially when I know that that brother, I did something to him. I did something to her. And I'm conscious of the fact that I did something. You say, well, pastor, I didn't do anything to them. They, uh, they're upset with me. They're angry with me. There's a problem between me and them. I didn't do anything. I still have to make the first move. Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus said, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go. Go and tell him his fault. So whether it's your fault, their fault, or some mix, and often it is some kind of a mix, someone has to make the first move. And he says, you make the first move. Secondly, Apart from taking the initiative, there's something else you can do. Start with your heart. What does it mean to make the first move? Well, here's what you do. You start with your heart. Your heart, not their heart. The reason people have conflict, even in church, there's a core. There's a place where it starts. There's a place where it's sustained. In James chapter 4, verse 1, the apostle writes, What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? He's speaking to a church. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, inside of you, in your heart? You see, it's human nature to look out for number one. It's human nature to be self-centered. It's human nature to think about my needs before someone else's needs. And that's what he's describing here. You know, one of the great lies in the world that circulates, and we have, I fear in the church, we have swallowed it, is the myth of compatibility. The myth of compatibility. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, if you go, I don't know that you all ever go to a dating website. I don't. (laughs) I don't have any need to go to a dating website. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But if you're in that place and you have occasion to go to a dating website, the whole premise to some of the most popular dating websites is to help you find the right match based on compatibility. That's the idea that drives most of those sites. And some sites claim to do that better than others. Now, when divorce takes place, One of the great arguments, and and there's a whole industry, you know, that that revolves around this. One of the great arguments, one of the great things that we say when two people get ready to get divorced is we are no longer compatible. We're no longer compatible. And I want you to understand that any two people in Christ can get along. Any two people in Christ can get along. The issue is not compatibility. Compatibility. The issue is not the inability 
to get along. The issue is not any of those things. The issue is immaturity. Will I follow Christ in my relationships? Will I follow him and be obedient to him without regard to whether the other person receives me, accepts me, likes me, welcomes me? Will I follow Christ in that relationship? And maybe only one person is willing to work at it. Only one person's willing to change. We recognize that. But am I that one person? And that's the thing we need to ask ourselves. I need to start with my heart. I need to grow up. So how do I grow up through a conflict? Well, Jesus taught this. Always start with your heart, not theirs. Always start with your heart. Don't enter into the relationship accusing, um, blaming, attacking the other person. But I got to start with me. And I may need to start with admitting where I was wrong or something that I did. Not to start with my heart sets you up for one of the most remarkably funny passages or teachings of Jesus, I think, in the Bible. Because I think he really was expressing something that was so utterly absurd that the people had to chuckle. And so I'm going to need some help with that. Todd, I promised you I was going to use it this morning. Would you come up here? Just, just stand right there. You don't have to do anything else. Just stand right there. Okay. Let's stop. Stop. Uh, turn a little bit to the congregation. Just a little bit. Okay, there you go. Now, I had asked Lisa earlier this morning to set up for me a one by four by ten board. Okay? And uh, I had sent that note to all the staff. We had a little text thing where we talked to one another. I'd sent to all the staff. And so Todd had suggested, hey, Lisa, by the way, can you set some what on the pew? Mountain Dew, popcorn, and some other things to set some things out for him. So anyway, he was just pulling her leg. All right. The absurdity is, is if uh, Todd and I are having an issue and our relationship is under stress for whatever reason, we have some kind of conflict. If, if I were to have this thing stuck in my eye. <laughs> and I would say, by the way, brother, there's something in your eye. There's a little speck right there. Can you see it? And you go, no, I don't. There's a little speck right there. Is that not absurd? Do you see the absurdity of that? This is stuck in my eye, and I'm coming at him, and I don't even see this. I'm not even conscious of this. Thank you, Todd. Y'all give me a hand. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 7, verse 4. He said, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And the people who heard that had to kind of laugh because Jesus was addressing, most of the time when he said things like that, he was addressing religious people who are very quick to point out the faults of others and not so quick to see the stuff that's happening among us. 
to help us with this exercise of starting with your heart. On the back of your fill-in-the-blank listening guide, I have something a little different today. I have on the back, you'll see it, 12 questions to ask myself before I handle a broken relationship. And, um, and I want you to know how serious this is in Scripture. That before I approach someone, before I go to them about a fault, something they did to me, even something I've done to them, I really need to work through the issues that are raised by these questions. Now, I have another sheet. You can ask me for it. I think we're going to put it online that has all the scriptures already printed out with each of these questions. And it'll save you a little time from looking them up. But they're, they're valuable. Do I want to please the Lord in this relationship? That's the first question I think you and I need to ask ourselves. When I'm having a problem with someone, Lord, do I want to please you in this? Because my first allegiance is to him, right? The first thing I want to do is honor him in my relationship. Do I want to please you? Have I asked the Lord to search my heart? Do I understand the problem? Number one reason we never solve our problems is we don't know what they are. And asking God to help me understand what is the problem here? What went awry? Sometimes you may have been fighting or fussing with someone so long, you don't even know where it started. You don't even know why we have a problem anymore. It's just that we do. Uh, have I searched the scriptures for insight? Must the problem be addressed or can it be overlooked? And there's a very clear scripture there that, that talks to you and me about overlooking. You know, sometimes we jump on people for things that may have been better handled by leaving it alone. Not everyone needs everyone letting them know they're wrong. You understand? And we need to use wisdom found in Scripture as we work through those issues. So there's a whole list of things there. I encourage you to work through that. If you're serious about pleasing the Lord in your relationships, start with your heart and address that. Things to handle before I handle broken relationship, things to ask myself. Here's the third thing. You're taking the first move. You're starting with your heart. Here's the third thing. Ask for a private meeting at a convenient time. Ask for a private meeting at a convenient time. When is the best time to meet with someone and to resolve a conflict? Well, it's when you're at your best and when they're at their best, right? When you're at your best, you've examined your heart. And when you begin to do that and God speaks to you and you've gone through this process where God's prepared your heart, one of the tendencies you and I have is Oh, I need to deal with this right now. And we call that person or we want to go see that person right now. And it doesn't matter whether it's a good time for them or not. We want to resolve it. i got to resolve it right now. And that person, they haven't spent the time you've spent preparing your heart. They haven't had the opportunity to think about the conversation before it begins. And so we want them to be at their best as well, don't we? When I approach someone about a relationship. How do we do that? How do I help make sure someone's at their best? I want to choose the right time and place. Well, there's three things I want to suggest, three ways. The first thing is to limit the scope of your conversation to those who are involved. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, the Bible says, first be reconciled 
to your brother. And so one of the great mistakes you and I may make is if I have a problem with you, is that I would go and talk to person A, person B, person C, person D, and say, I have this problem with this person, and I'm letting everybody else know I have this problem with this person, but I have not approached the person that I have the problem with. Limit the scope. If I'm serious about them being at their best, putting them in the best possible position where they can respond to me when I've offended them or when they've offended me, if I want them to be at their best, they don't need to be hearing from everybody else that I have talked to everybody else about my problem with them. There's not a counselor on the planet that would tell you that if you and your husband are having trouble, the way to resolve that is tell all your kids about your problem with your spouse. And it's the same thing in the relationships that you and I have. If I want them to be at their best, most likely to respond to me positively, limit the scope of the conversation. There's a second thing, a private time and place. A private time and place. In Matthew 18, verse 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Alone. You know, there's an old romantic song called Just the Two of Us. And when you're working out a difficulty, you want it to be just you and that person or perhaps persons that you've had the problem with. Nobody else. Why is that important? Well, let's think about that. If someone is coming to you and is about to tell you and talk about a problem that the two of you have had, whether it's your fault or not, that's not the issue. You're, you're about to have this conversation. Do you want your children running around underfoot? Do you want, you want your best friend in the next room hearing the conversation? Uh, is it going to bother you that if you have that conversation, it's, it's everybody else around can hear what you're talking about? That's why it's not good. Well, I want to deal with this right now. Pastor said, make the first move. And so I'm going to go to them right now, and I'm going to talk to them. They're on their tractor. They're in their workplace. They're in their classroom. And I'm going to try to have a conversation with them right there. And they're thinking, my goodness, everybody else can hear this. And they're not going to be at their best. And so if I'm going to set up a time that's private and with me and that other person, and we're talking about reconciling personal relationships, then I need to let them know ahead of time and say, hey, I really feel like we need to talk. And God's spoken to my heart about this. And when's a great time for you and me to sit down and have this conversation together? And, um, and they'll set a time and place. I'll let you know, uh, possibly. But if they do, they set a time and place. Well, what does that do? That gives them time to do what you've been doing, which is preparing your heart to have that talk. And so limit the scope to just you and that person. Find a private time and place. But there's a third thing. Don't go to somebody until after you have prayed for the meeting. Don't just go there straight out of, your reflection or your conviction or whatever is leading you to that place, but go after you've prayed. And so right now, I, I really want us to stop in the middle of what we're talking about today. And can I ask you just to bow your heads, please, and uh, close your eyes for just a moment. This may not apply to everybody, but you may be listening to this and you're thinking different thoughts. God, I'm tired 
of the tension, but I'm, I'm really scared to do this. There's been so much hostility, so many words exchanged. Help me prepare for this. Grant me favor with this person, Lord. Help them to hear me. Help me to hear them. Father, let us be a church that is unlike any other church. Help us be your people. Lead us to become your body. A place where we love each other fiercely. fiercely. A place where we speak to each other tenderly and truthfully. And a place where we love each other fully. And for that person who is crying out to you now for wisdom, for guidance and courage, would you fill them, Lord, with a sense of your presence and your comfort and your courage to do what you are leading them to do? And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Number four. If I'm serious about working towards reconciliation, the fourth thing I need to do is pay attention. Pay attention to what you say and how you say it. Pay attention to what you say and how you say it. When you and I speak truthfully and, and factually, we come into this conversation, and, um, and one or two or, or both things are happening. Uh, we could be confessing something admitting something to someone. We could be confronting something, letting someone know, this hurt me, this offended me, this hurt me. Um, whether I'm confessing or confronting, my words need to be handled with care. When you confess something, the nature of New Testament confession, uh, the original word that's used, is actually a composite word that means to say the same thing. To agree with someone is to say the same word that they're saying. And so confession is coming to a place where I understand how I hurt someone. And so before I speak, I may need to listen. One of the ways that you and I pay attention to what we say and how we say it is to really understand the other person's heart and maybe how I have wounded them or caused damage to them. But as I do that, I need to come to a place where I say that same word. And I need to be careful. And I need to make sure that I don't, in my confession, in my asking forgiveness, actually just load them up with more accusations. You know how that works, don't you? Well, I'm sorry for what I did after you did X, Y, and Z. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I, I really am sorry I hurt your feelings, but, you know, it only happened after you were such an idiot. You know, and so my words are not going to be heard, are they, at that point? Same thing when I'm confronting, even more so if I'm confronting a problem. The words that I use need to be words that God gives me, that God guides me into saying. They don't need to be words that pour gasoline on the flames. They need to be words that bring the thermostat down, that speak truth, but speak it tenderly, speak it carefully. Jesus identified that the turning point in the process that you're looking for, 
the turning point that you want to happen when you're seeking reconciliation is this. Again, in verses 15 and 17, Matthew 18, he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, he's done something to you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Here's the turning point. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. That's what you want. That's the turning point that you want to happen. Now, you can't control whether or not someone hears you. And obviously, it's not talking about just with your ears. You understand that, right? That the hearing that's discussed here is a hearing where there's understanding, a hearing where there's receiving of what you're saying, a hearing that allows the two of you to restore the relationship because the end result of this hearing is that you have gained or won your brother. Now, you can't control that hearing, but you can certainly influence it. How do you influence that hearing that's talked about here? Well, there's a couple keys I see in Scripture. One is the key of gentleness. The key of gentleness. In Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. How? In a spirit of gentleness. And so if I want to be heard, I don't need to come with my six guns blazing. I need to be gentle. And you know, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if I like gentleness, then I want to ask God to be God in me. I want to ask Jesus to be gentle in me and through me. That's one way I help someone here is the key of gentleness. Another is the key of affirmation. The key of affirmation. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Don't let it come out. Maybe in your head, but don't let it come out of your mouth. He says, But only such a word as is good for edification, building someone else up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So truth, it may be the truth, but it can build someone up or it can tear them down, right? Right? 